It is a beautiful thing and an awesome privilege to be able to come into the presence of God. Father, I thank you for joining us today. You know, we need to talk to God. God likes to talk to us, but we need to respond and praise him and love him back. Great week for that. You know, I've been thinking a lot about education this week and school, and I was reminded that few in my generation went on to attend college and university. Some never even made it through high school. <laughs> um, I was the first in my family to attend college. and In fact, I was the only one that went and graduated. Not to my credit, but just something we didn't do. We got a job, went to work. Today, it seems like everybody goes on to schools of higher learning. And the reason for that is quite simple. Our world is searching for knowledge. And there's just so much out there to be learned. According to global library statistics, there's somewhere between 500,000 and a million libraries out there in the world. There are about uh, 130 million books right now that have received the International Standard Book Number, the ISBN. I am also told that a recent survey revealed that there are about 60,000 books that are produced every year in the United States and about another 30,000 worldwide. A lot of books in this world, tons of books everywhere. I think it's safe to say that there's probably three reasons why so many books are written and then published. Quite honestly, people write books to make money. It's big business. A lot of books out there you can buy and spend money on. I, I have a lot in my library and I think back and how much money I've spent on the books. A lot of money. People also write books to share knowledge, to give information, to teach us things. So logically, the number one reason why people read books is to gain knowledge and to gain wisdom. Again, there's a lot of books out there. Guys, I want you to understand something. The most important book that you could ever buy and own is the Word of God. It's the best book you can own. If you can only own one book, buy you a Bible and read it. It's more timely and more relevant than any other publication that's out on the market that you can purchase and take home with you. The principles and the precepts that are found in the Bible all prove uh, to, to be full of knowledge and wisdom, the kind of knowledge and wisdom that we need for life and also for eternity. Let me remind you that right here in America, our first schools were, in fact, churches. And our first textbook was the Bible. My, have we drifted so far from where we started. I want you to know that if you'll take time to study the Word of God, you'll never exhaust all of its contents, and neither will you be able to comprehend all that it teaches. I, I have been privileged to know a few people in my life that have memorized the entire word of God. I've met a few of them. I don't know how they do it. I'm doing good to keep 10 verses of scripture memorized. 
It's an old elderly thing, I think. You know, the older you get, the harder it is to keep that stuff up there. You know, I've known some people that have been able to do that, but I've never met anybody that fully comprehended everything that God's Word teaches us about Him and also the life that He's given us to live. We, uh, we long for knowledge. We, we, we long for wisdom. But what is wisdom? What is true wisdom? It's simply the application of the truths that we know that come from God's word that we know. You, you, you don't know what you don't know. That's why you need to read God's word. But as you know it, you're responsible to apply those truths to your lives. That's, that's what wisdom is. We love to meet smart people, don't we? Smart people get our attention. Does the name Ken Jennings ring a bell with anybody here? A few of you. Yeah. Ken was, uh, back, in 19, uh, back in 2004, he was the Jeopardy contestant that set the longest winning streak record for that Jeopardy game. If you remember, he won 74 contests in a row, and he, he took home $2.5 million dollars. Nobody's ever beat that. If you remember, Ken seemed to have an answer for every question that was asked that day and throughout his time there on the show. And, and when we saw him, if you watched that program, we were all mystified and we were awed by his wide, vast range of knowledge. It seemed like every question asked, he had an answer for. Well, Dr. James Merritt said of Jennings this. He said the winning streak and the breadth of his knowledge, it Uh, amazed people but the wide range of knowledge shrinks in comparison to the mind of God while the world was understandably impressed by what Jennings accomplished all of us who have been delivered by Christ should be far more impressed by what God has accomplished through Jesus Christ on our behalf amen and amen because of what God's done for us and what God is doing for us Friends, every one of us should respond literally in a static worship to God. And I think that's what we've been doing this morning. Worshiping God and praising him and giving him thanks and praise for all he has done and for what he's doing, for his grace and for his mercy. The Apostle Paul writes in the 11th chapter of Romans these words. Oh, what a wonderful God we have. How great are his riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his methods. For who can know what the Lord is thinking? Who knows enough to be his counselor? And who could ever give him so much that he would have to pay it back? For everything comes from him and everything exists by his power. And it is all intended for his glory. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Folks, as you can see, the Apostle Paul had no problem praising God for his eternal and gracious plan to deliver the Jews and the Gentiles alike from the consequences of our sin. Paul praises God for his gracious plan to deliver all of humanity from the bondage of sin and death. He praises God and and praise God that plan is is more than sufficient to save any and everybody that's ever lived on this planet. God knew what he was doing, and God's made a way. I love what Peter wrote. 
He said the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return, as some people think. But no, he is being patient for your sake. Think about that. The reason he has not come back to this point is because some of you need to be saved. And he's waiting for you. And if you'll hurry up and get saved, maybe we'll get to go home. I'm just saying. Paul says he does not want anyone to perish. And so he's giving more time for everyone to repent. So let me say it another way, just a little bit different. What Jesus did on the cross to execute the plan of redemption that God set in place was absolutely sufficient to forgive and to save every one of our lost souls. Every one of them. And the beautiful thing is this. God's plan is still in effect. It's still working. It's still optional to save you from the terrible consequences of all the bad decisions you've ever made in your life. Now that's God's plan. Folks, I'm here to tell you that Satan has a very different plan for you. In fact, Jesus said the thief, and he's talking about Satan, he calls him a thief because that's what he is. We know him to be a liar, but he's a thief. He came to steal and to kill and destroy, and Jesus says that. But he also says, but I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. We've lived in... Uh, a wonderful age of seeing a lot of things happen over the last 50, 60 years. Probably been more accomplished in the last 50 years than there has been in the other years that man has existed. But as Dr. James Merritt says, of all the accomplishments in history, God's deliverance of human beings from their sinful nature and the consequences of their sin stands as the ultimate peace prize. It's the greatest thing that's ever been accomplished. And we need to give God credit for that. Because of what God's done for us, folks, he deserves all the glory and all the praise that we could ever give to him. Our God is awesome. He is an amazing God. He's an awesome God. He is great and he is good all the time. God is wonderful. He is gracious and he is kind. He is loving. He is the purest example of what it is to be loving. He alone deserves all the glory and all the praise that we could ever attribute to him. Friends, all glory belongs to God. All glory. That simply means that all glory is to be uniquely God's. He is to possess that. He is the only one worthy of glory, not us, him. We should glorify him. Now, I'm telling you, knowing that, Satan has done everything possible within his limited power to steal the glory of God. He is a glory thief, a glory thief. You see, way back at the beginning of known time, there was a rebellion that took place in heaven And he led in that rebellion. Isaiah speaks of him when he says, How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth. 
You who destroy the nations of the world. Now folks, Isaiah is speaking about a beautiful and powerful angel that was once known as Lucifer who raised his ugly head because what made him ugly was not his appearance, but what was in his heart. He raised his head and his hand against God in an attempt to steal God's throne. If you read scripture, you'll come to understand that he was one of the highest ranking archangels of heaven. Some even believe that Lucifer was God's chief angel in charge of all the other angels. I don't know for sure, but I know this. He had a very important position in the kingdom of God. But one day, he woke up and he looked in the mirror and he thought to himself, mirror, mirror on the wall, I am the most beautiful and fairest one of all and I deserve to be king. And instantly, he was infected with what we would call the God complex. He quickly became dissatisfied with his God-given position. And look at how Isaiah describes Satan's haughtiness and his prideful boasting in verse 13. It says, for you said to yourself, obviously that tells us a lot about Satan. He's having a conversation with himself. He thinks there's nobody else in the world. He said, I will ascend to heaven and I will set my throne above God's stars and I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north and I will climb to the highest heavens and I will be like the most high. Folks, Satan had an eye problem, an eye problem that glasses wouldn't fix. He had a pride problem. Verse 15 says, but instead... You will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. In other words, Satan, you're going to spend eternity in hell. Now, folks, as you can see, God refused to allow Satan to ascend to the throne. And he had the divine power to prevent that from happening. Look at how Ezekiel describes God's response to Satan's rebellion in the 28th chapter of Ezekiel. God's word says, I ordained and I appointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. That's where we get that concept. He may be the chief angel or may have been. You had access to the holy mountain of God and you walked among the stones of fire. That may be other guardian angels or other archangels. He says in verse 15, you were blameless in all that you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your great wealth filled you with violence and you sinned. Somebody asked me the other day, who committed the first sin? Right there it is. Satan, Lucifer, sinned first against God. So I banished you, God says, from the mountain of God. I expelled you, almighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. All he cared about was himself. God says, so I threw you down to the earth. Well, I think you can see, it's easy to see that God had no problem defending his throne. And Lucifer was soundly defeated and kicked out of God's kingdom in heaven. But that's not the end of Satan. 
You see, Paul reminds us that today, Satan is the mighty prince of the power of the air. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. We don't like to think about that, but either God's spirit dwells in you or you are a child of the enemy. And he's guiding you to do the things that you do. It's also clear from scripture that Satan is disgruntled. He is angry. He is vengeful. And he's on a mission to reclaim the power and the prestige that he once held in heaven. Dr. Evans writes for a short time, God has permitted Satan to act as the ruler of a rival kingdom. What kingdom are we talking about? He goes on to give us the answer to that. The kingdom that he rules is the world of unsaved humanity and literally the demons of hell. At this time, Satan has his own kingdom and we can see and feel its effect everywhere. Whenever you witness rebellion rise up against legitimate authority, you are seeing Satan at work. The one thing that characterizes him and his kingdom is always rebellion against divine authority. Friend, Satan is all about trying to steal the glory that rightfully belongs to God. And what we need to realize is the fact that Satan loves to involve us in his attempt at divine larceny. He wants us to get caught, just like he got caught. He wants us to be guilty, just like he was guilty. You know, he literally was the first slick willy in the universe. He's cunning, he's deceiving, he's deceitful, he's crafty, he loves when you know, he can convince us that we don't need God in our lives. He wants us to, to glory in our own supposed goodness. He wants you to steal the praise that belongs to God, that God deserves. So friends, listen, we, we have to be alert. We have to stay alert. We have to live our lives alert to the schemes of the enemy because he loves to trick us into believing that we don't need God. He wants us to remove God from that rightful place in our heart and in our lives. He wants us to follow him and, and walk the same path of destruction that he has walked. He loves to set a bad example, example for us. So for, friends, here's reality. Think about this. Either you're allowing God to rule your life or you're just like Satan in that attempt to steal the glory of God. It may very well be that you're living your life in your own glory and trying to steal the glory that rightfully belongs to God. That, that is so easy for us to do. And quite honestly, at some point in our lives, we've all done that. But listen, God will never share his throne with any of us. He won't. He's not going to share the throne of your heart either. There's no such thing as shared authority or dual sovereignty. He either rules your life or else you're the one attempting to run things. And that may be why your life's in a mess. 
You either take credit for who you are and what you are, or else you live your life giving glory to God. There's just simply no middle ground. There's no straddling the fence. There's no flip-flopping when it comes to who has the glory. Again, look at what Paul writes. He said, oh, what a wonderful God we have. How great are his riches and his wisdom and knowledge and how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his methods. How many times do we want to say to God, God, I don't like what you're doing in my life. I I want it to happen this way instead of the way that you're making it happen. He says in verse 34, who can know what the Lord is thinking? We can't even come close with our peanut brain to having the knowledge of God. Who knows enough to be his counselor? Huh. And who could ever give him so much that he would have to pay it back? God doesn't owe us a thing. And we owe him everything. For everything comes from him and everything exists by his power and everything is intended for his glory. To him be the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's take that last verse and make it personal for each of us for just a moment. If I've read this verse right, Paul says that you came from God. Do you know what that means? That means God created you. He is our creator. We're the creature. He also said that you exist by his power. That means God sustained you every day of your life. He says you were created and thus sustained for the intended purpose of bringing God glory. You know, King David understood that divine reality when he wrote this psalm. It's listed in 1 Chronicles 16. In verse 27, David writes, Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty are in his dwelling. All nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is gracious and strong. And give to the Lord the glory that he deserves. Bring your offering and come to worship him. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Just three short verses that nine times David mentions God and the glory that belongs to God. Study David's life. And what you'll find is that David was just like you and me. He sinned. He sinned more than once. But the bulk of his life was lived focusing on the glory of God. Not looking at the glory as much as he was looking at God, trying to know God and be everything that God wanted him to be. If you read Psalms chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, you'll find that David, when he woke up every morning, that he made an effort early in the day to come into the presence of God. And he even wrote this song to help you and me come into the very presence of God. Listen, when David related to God, his understanding that God was not a God that lived way out there in the distant part of the universe, 
the God David knew was near and he was worthy of honor. And just the thought of God or the mention of his name brought praises from David's lip and from his life. David was awe-inspired by the amazing song that he wrote for God. Ronnie Bowers writes that so often we base our worship on how our week is gone or on whatever current circumstance we're going through. In other words, to what depth or what part we participate in worship, it all depends on issues. Sometimes, for us to truly worship God, the music has to be just right. It's got to be, uh, you can't be too loud. It's got to be a particular kind of music, a certain kind, or else we don't worship. Sometimes, we're even affected by the size of the crowd when we walk into the sanctuary. Well, there's not many here today. I don't know how we can worship God with this, month, this number. Sometimes it's the scripture text that the preacher picks out. Well, I don't like that. That's out of the Old Testament. You know, we, do, we live in New Testament times. Sometimes it's, we choose not to worship because of the sermon delivery. A lot of issues affect our worship for God. Amen? Oh, me. But folks, what we need to do is we need to refuse to be affected by anything that Satan uses to distract us from coming in the presence of Almighty God. We all need to recognize that, that God is here right now in our midst, in this very place right now. God is in this room. We all need to step into his presence, the presence of a holy and mighty God. And when we step there, we need to stand there in awe of God. You better get used to doing it now if you're going to heaven. We need to worship God. He's our reason for being here. If you came here just to see somebody else, then you came to see the wrong person. You need to be looking for God when you walk through these doors. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together, because they are mine, I am there among them. Put this up here. God first created you for his glory. He redeemed you for his glory. He forgave your sins and he saved you from the consequence of your sin for his glory. And he's gathered us here in this place today, in this morning, in this moment, for us to give him praise and glory. That's the reason why we're here. Folks, everything exists and operates for the purpose of giving glory to God. Again, look at what Paul said. He said, for everything comes from him and everything exists by his power and everything is intended for his glory to him be glory forever and ever, evermore. Amen. Now, do you know what amen means? It means so be it. So be it. So there you have it. That's it. God's glory is the only reason we exist. The only reason. His glory is the number one reason why there is a kingdom of God. 
That's his goal and that is our primary purpose. Notice that Paul says that everything is from God. Let's think about that for a moment. Everything's from God. That simply means that God is the first cause for everything. Nothing would exist today if God had not brought it all into existence. God brought everything that exists out of nothingness. You see, we have to remember that there was a time before creation when nothing existed but God. Try to wrap your mind around that. Nothing but God. Absolutely nothing. And then God spoke everything into existence. Therefore, God caused everything to exist. And therefore, he alone has preeminence over everything. God is first. He is the first cause. He is the divine creator of everything. He is your reason for being here. God is also the effectual cause of everything in creation. Paul says everything exists by his power. Do you understand that God keeps you on earth by making gravity work? As fast as our world is spinning, if God didn't make gravity work, you'd be somewhere out there in space. You'd be slung away. Do you understand that God keeps your heart beating in your chest? Do you understand that every time a baby is born, we give credit to moms and dads who are intimate with each other for that to happen? But do you understand that God makes that happen? He does not need you and me to create a living soul. He's already proven that. He made some dirt and then he made Adam. He don't need us. God made you to worship him. It is absolutely important that we understand that. You live because of God. Last of all, Paul says that our intended purpose is to bring glory to God. So God is also the final cause of our existence. Everything exists and operates for the sole purpose of bringing glory to God. It is absolutely critical that you understand that God created the universe for his pleasure and for his glory. Listen to what John writes about what he saw in heaven when he was given that opportunity to come into the presence of God, whether in vision or in person, I don't know. But he says these words, in front of the throne. Whose throne? God's throne. God's throne. You ever been there? Paul, Paul did. We're promised that we're going to be there one day. You better be right when you get there. In front of the throne was a shining sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings had the form of a lion, and the second looked like an ox, and the third had a human face, and the fourth had the form of an eagle with wings spread out as though in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings and their wings were covered with eyes inside 
and out. And day after day and night after night, they keep on, notice that, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was and who is and who is still to come. That is ringing in heaven today. God is hearing that come from his his creation. He says in verse 9, whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down. And they worship the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crown before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord our God. To receive glory and honor and power for you created everything and it is for your pleasure that we exist and were created. Everything in creation was brought in existence to bring glory to God. And listen folks, you especially were created to praise and honor and worship God. Isaiah 43, God says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You don't have to fear anything. Don't be afraid. Why? He says, for I am with you. I will gather you and your children from the east and west and from north and south. And I will bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. All who claim me as their God will come. For I have made them for my glory, and it was I who created them. Guys, God did not make the world for you. He didn't even make you for you. Everything was made for himself. Everything was made to bring glory to God, and that includes each of us. Dr. Evans says that is your chief aim, your highest purpose. You are to reflect him and his ways through your thoughts and your choices and action in such a way that people will look at you and can't help but give glory to God. I wonder what people have thought when they've watched you this week. Have they had thoughts about God? They should. I shared with you a biblical principle last week. God formed you for a purpose. And he has been shaping you for the days and the months and the years that are ahead of us. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about purpose. That purpose for which he saved us and shaped us. He says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 12, I want you to know dear brothers and sisters. That everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the soldiers in in the palace guard, they know that I am in chains because of Christ. Paul was saying, they know I'm, I'm not a criminal. I'm here because of my faith in Jesus Christ. And because of my imprisonment, many of the Christians here have gained confidence And become more bold in telling others about Christ. It's amazing what God has to do to get us to speak the name of Jesus. You know, Paul wrote these words behind bars. In a cold, dingy cell. 
where he was locked up for the cause of Christ. It's been said that Paul might have been forgiven had he chosen to take a, a little sabbatical while in prison awaiting his trial. But instead, Paul seized that opportunity to advance the good news about Jesus Christ. You see, Paul was a focused man. He didn't allow himself to drift away from his reason for being, his mission, his calling. His focus was on God. He was determined to leave the mark of Christ on everybody's life that he came in contact with. He was committed to shine for Jesus, to bring attention and glory to God. He was one of those that said, God, light me and let me burn for you. Our purpose for living, my friend, is to live in such a way that God receives the maximum glory for our life. And he deserves it. We are all being shaped into instruments of praise. We're being shaped as vessels that give glory to God. And you know, I hate to remind you of this, but we have a problem being what God wants us to be. Our greatest challenge is to not be me-centered. I talked about that in the last couple of sermons. We need to pray and ask God to deliver us from me-centeredness. You see, our greatest challenge is to abandon our selfish desires. Our greatest challenge is to no longer live for ourselves. Our greatest challenge is to get up in the morning and say, God, what do you want me to do today? We're all called to live for Christ and to bring him the glory. And that was the Apostle Paul's goal in life, his one goal. Listen to what he said in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, so our aim is to please him always. To please who? To please God. He said, our aim is to please God always, whether we are here in this body or away from this body. Paul says, dead or alive, I want to please God. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. And I want you to notice, he's writing to Christians here. When he said, for all of us must stand before Christ to be judged, we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and give account for what we've done in our life as a Christian. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil that we have done in our bodies. It is because we know the, this solemn fear of the Lord that we work so hard to persuade others. And God knows that we are sincere. And I hope you know this too, Paul writes. Are we trying to pat ourselves on the back again? No, he says. We are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart for God. If it seems that we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right mind, it's for your benefit, he says. Whatever we do, it is because of the love of Christ that controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for everyone, we also believe that we have all died to the old life we used to live. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live to please themselves, but instead they will live to please Christ who died 
and was raised to life. Well, we're all tempted when confronted with truth from God's word to go, well, <laughs> what about me? What about what I want? What about my desires? What about the things that I want to do with my life? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. If you're a Christian, all of that has been laying at the foot of the cross. That's where it's at. When we accept Christ, we surrender our lives to him and we make him Lord of our life. We give him everything we are. And if you remember what scripture teaches, it was his blood that bought and paid for the salvation of our lost soul. We didn't do anything good to deserve salvation. He gave it to us. And because of that, we are called by God to rally around the spreading of the gospel. And we're to all be in full force. We're to take on the kingdom of agenda. We're to gather as a church and make it our united effort to make sure that other people come to know Jesus Christ in any way and every way that we possibly can. As Christians, our message and our passion must be about Jesus and the message of freedom that comes through his forgiveness. You know, I was reading some thoughts the other day by Dr. Mark Lee and I'm in total agreement with what he said. This is one little snippet of what he wrote. He said, in our culture today, people, people who live with such intensity are considered unstable, are weird, are freakish. We've heard dynamic Christians referred to as Jesus freaks. Nobody wants to be a Jesus freak. But I got news for you. He goes on to say, but that is the life that God has called us to live in reckless abandon to him and for him and with him. I wonder. If you will take a moment and be serious with yourself and just simply think about this question. What kind of song is your life singing? What are people hearing and seeing from your life? Is it a song of praise? Is it a song of purpose? Is it a song that brings glory to God? Or is it a song that just points to you? Selfishly. How much glory is your life bringing to God? Are you living it for the glory of God? Do you think about the glory of God? Do you make choices for the intent purpose of bringing glory to God? Is your life being lived for you or are you living it for God? We all need to ask that question. We do. Maybe you need to be honest with yourself this morning. And maybe you need to do something about that honesty and what you see when you see who you really are. Maybe today you need to stop what you're doing and turn back to God. Because you're so, it's so easy to get off track. If you know anything about charting a course, 
You know that just a half a degree, just a tiny decision that you make will not seem like much now. But when you stay on that course for weeks and months and years, one day you wake up and you go, where in the world is God? Well, you know what? God's right where you left him. And he's waiting for you to turn around and come back. He didn't abandon you. You abandoned him. And it all started with a choice that was out of the will of God. A bad decision to do what you wanted to do and not what he wanted to do. But the beautiful thing is, is that you can turn around. And you can come home. God's waiting for you. And all you have to do is get up and get going. You can come home. He's like the father of the prodigal son who stands on the porch and waits for his son to return. He's looking day after day waiting for you to come home. And I promise you, if you'll come home, he'll throw a party. And all of heaven will rejoice. But as long as you stay away, there's nothing but tears that flow from the father's eyes. Will you come home? Will you turn back to God? You go, well, I haven't gone that far. Well, one step is too far. Repentance is turning around. It's coming back to God. It's agreeing with God about where you are. It's agreeing with God about where you need to be. I, I, I shared this scripture with you last week. James says, draw near to God. And God will draw near to you. That's a promise. That's a promise. If you want your life to be different, turn around and come back to God. Will you do that this morning? I pray that you will. I don't care how far you've gone. You, you haven't gone too far. If you're hearing God speak to you today, you can still turn around and come. But you have to make that decision. God will not drag you through the gates of heaven. You have to choose Jesus and make him Lord of your life if you're going to know God. And he is willing and ready to receive you today if you'll just trust him. I want you to bow your heads with me. And I want you to consider that this morning. What do you need to do to be right with God? It might be that you need to get saved. You'll never get in heaven without Jesus as the Lord of your life. I'm here in this moment ready and willing to help you find Jesus. The greatest opportunity you have is today while he's speaking. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. This week has proven that in many ways. Will you respond with the opportunity that you have? Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you've been a, a believer for a long time, but you drifted away from fellowship with God. You're not praying. You're not reading God's word. You're not living for God. You're not serving God. You're just drifting through life. Will you rededicate your life to the Lord today and change that? God's where you left him. Come home. Come home. 
Father, you know our hearts and you know our needs. And you know how the word that's been shared this morning touches each person in this room. You know what you've said to them and you know how you want them to respond. I pray that you would bind Satan so that he has no place or no hindrance in our lives that keep us from doing what we need to do for your glory and honor. Please, Lord, help that person who needs to come to step out and move forward. And God, take them by the hand and walk them home. Please, God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Will you stand? And not only stand, but will you respond to God? Will you move in the direction that he wants you to move? You come as God leads you, please.